Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Kind. Make It Kind. M-I-P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Kind. Get woke. Folks, we're honored to have with us today one with a great level of expertise throughout the African diaspora. She was selected and I want to read, she might not want me to, but I'm gonna, I want to share her whole bio, folks, because it's really impressive. And uh, this, is, this is who I would want to grow up to be if I weren't so old already. Uh, <laughs> she was selected to participate in an, an executive program at the London School of Economics for 2020-2021, in addition to bachelor's degrees in broadcast journalism and political science. She holds a master's degree in education, a law degree, and a PhD in education policy. She serves as a formal representative of the African Union in the diaspora, representing the sixth region of the African Union Commission. She is also the policy and research coordinator for the Movement for Black Lives and provides strategic advisory services for corporations, organizations, and governmental bodies globally. She has worked as a grassroots organizer, particularly around issues of education, equity, economic justice, and environmental justice. And she has served as part of local and national efforts to diversify the economic ecosystem through educating, advocating, and developing policy for cooperative economic models and financing tools that support cooperative enterprises. She also serves on the National Advisory Board of the Public Banking Institute, leaving, leading efforts to establish public banks in cities and states across the country. In addition to her public, public policy consulting work, she's a political consultant, a strategist. She serves on the boards of the Chicago Community Loan Fund, Chicago Neighborhoods Initiative, the Global Strategist Association. She is proficient in Spanish, French, Portuguese, and Igbo, 
She was named a public policy global leadership fellow with the Global Strategists Association. She serves as a regular commentator and contributor on policy and politics for various media outlets. She also has a great deal of expertise on city and state policy, as well as international affairs, foreign policy with expertise in Central Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East. And she writes obviously extensively on issues of education, economic development, fiscal policy, equity and policy, and systems thinking. Uh, and we are happy to have with us Dr. Rep. She's wearing the Movement for Black Lives hat today, M4BL. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Amara Inya. Sister, thank you for joining us. I, I, I didn't mean to embarrass you by reading all of that, but it's so impressive. Congratulations on all you've done and accomplished. Thank you. I mean, it's a privilege and a pleasure to, to join you for this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And thank you for that. That was a lot. <laughs> no, but I mean, I was just blown away since I got to share this. And I know everybody listening is blown away, too. I mean, it's we I don't think we lift up enough of us who have your expertise, your experience. And, and people need to know that there are people out here like you, especially sisters out here like you. So that's why I wanted to to lift that up. So I thank you for letting me do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, wonderful. So first of all, how are you today? Everything good? I'm fantastic. Good, good. So I want to jump right into it um, as you deal with research and public policy for the movement for Black Lives. Um, and I'm thinking about things that the, the, the lay person um, wants to get a better knowledge of and a grasp on to understand. Uh, just like there's the For the People Act and the John Lewis Act. And that gets confusing. But let's talk about specific to the movement for black lives, the differences and what is the latest with regards to the Breathe Act versus the George Floyd Act. Can you can you take that on for us, please? Sure. So the Justice and Policing Act or the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act was put together um, last year in 2020. Um, and in response to the uprisings and things that had happened, However, there are a lot of components that the movement for Black Lives knew were not aligned with what this moment demanded. So we, the movement for Black Lives, the millions of people that came out in the streets last year and continuing to do so this year uh, with the uprisings were demanding transformative change. They were not demanding incremental nibbling around the edges reforms. Um, they certainly were not demanding investments in police and policing and police infrastructure. What we saw through the various organizations, grassroots organizations, people that are at the front lines of this work, was that they required investments in their communities and actually divesting from the carceral state, which has been so destructive to our communities. And by the carceral state, we mean investments in policing, police equipment, police infrastructure, police training institutes, all of those sorts of things. Because we know that the, the way or the roots to addressing issues of violence and safety are not in the police, it's actually in investing in our communities, the things that build strong individuals, strong families. So education, housing, um, public health access, environmental 
justice in our communities. Those are the kinds of investments that need to be made. And when you look at the communities that are hardest hit, you'll notice that those are the very things that are not actually happening. Those investments are not being made in our communities in those ways. So the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act came out and uh, in response to what we were seeing, the Movement for Black Lives developed the Breathe Act, which uses this invest divest framework to articulate a vision for what we know creates safety for our communities. And so we talk about all of the various ways that we have to invest in, in our communities, invest in education, invest in housing, invest in economic vitality, those sorts of things. But simultaneously, we have to divest from policing and police infrastructure. And so one example that I'll give is from Chicago. For example, I live in Chicago and the police budget is a third of the budget, $1.78 billion goes to policing. This is a city where they don't even have a, a department to address environmental justice issues because it was cut out of the budget. This is a city that closed mental health clinics a number of years ago because they claim that they can't afford it. And yet year after year, we see increases in policing. And so just using that as an example, the kind of change and the kind of legislation that was necessary was not one that increases resources and, and funds to policing as the Justice and Policing Act does, but one that actually diverts resources to our communities. And frankly, even the notion of justice and policing, you know, that that's not where we, we find justice, right? <laughs> like that, it, it's a, an oxymoron. And so we came out strongly uh, in favor of the BREATHE Act and, and we're not able to support the Justice and Policing Act. Uh, oxymoron, like say justice and policing, that's like saying jumbo shrimp, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> literally, right? Um, but so, but, but, so, but let, let me do this too, because you mentioned being from Chicago. So when I do these interviews, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I'm not just doing it to inform you, but also to strengthen the arguments I make. And I get this, as I'm sure you do. But wait a minute. Um, we don't need more police. Look at all the gun violence that's taking place even in your city of Chicago. Uh, Dr. Enya, what, what, what do you mean we don't need more police? What, why, why shouldn't we fund or strengthen the police? What's your counter to that so I can steal it and use it for myself? <laughs> well, the, the counter is that the status quo is the result of our investments, our, our, our decisions to invest only in policing as the solution to issues of violence. The status quo represents all of the decisions made up until now that have always favored increasing investments in police, increasing the number of police officers, increasing police uh, equipment and training. That's the status quo. The issue is that we have never as a city actually addressed the root causes of violence, which is all of the other areas of public policy that have been neglected for decades and dare I say for generations. When you address the root cause, it actually eliminates the need for police to even be in our communities. And that's a failure, not just of police, because a lot of times I think there's this, it's sort of like putting it all on the shoulders of police officers, like it's all on them. It's absolutely not. This is all of the leadership, our elected officials, alder people, state representatives, state senators, at every level of leadership, they have failed to make the necessary decisions that would drive resources to address these systemic issues that our communities have faced. And so the violence that you're seeing is a manifestation of that. 
getting more police on the street is not going to reduce shootings. Policing is reactionary. Um, the, if you look at the homicide clearance rate in Chicago, it is abysmal. So they're not even really solving the crimes in Chicago. Um, so continuing to pour more resources is into policing is the definition of insanity. And it's why we're seeing the numbers that we are seeing in Chicago. More MIP after this message. Well, and, and that's actually part of the argument I do make and, and feel free to critique me, but this is what I say, especially to, to African-American elders in our community who feel that they need that protection. I said, you just ask yourself, and I ask even those listening, uh, Dr. Enya, when was the last time you heard an African-American citizen contact the police for service and actually have that service delivered in any respect? We didn't got to get to violence. Um, Public Enemy had the song, 911 is a joke. And so then the question becomes, we pay our tax dollars and the police aren't doing anything to either protect our community, solve crime, they dismiss it. it. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Police have bought into the culture of stereotypes about us. Well, that's all we do. We're just going to kill each other. And so we're not going to really do anything about that anyway. Not to mention, I've asked people this too, uh, uh, doctor, and that is we see police get involved in violent encounters with unarmed people. When's the last time we turned on television and saw the police run up in a place where the armed gangbangers are to get them. Mm. I mean, we, we, you don't see that. And, this, and when, I, when I say to people, they pause for a minute. I said, yeah, it's easy to go get somebody who's unarmed and, and get in a violent encounter for them. But you want to do something? Prove to us that you even want to deal with the crime in the street. And then finally, the ultimate question then becomes, Dr. Enya, a lot of these people out here doing the gangbanging and all that other stuff, you pull up their information. They're working for the police. They're confidential informants. Mm. So that becomes an ever-spinning wheel. You know, we're saying police, law enforcement, police, law enforcement. Well, if they're only flipping people who are out here endangering other people's lives and not solving the crimes, not dealing with it, and attacking those who are innocent, like they have the uh, uh, credentials to be mental health workers, that's not acceptable. But, but, but let me ask you this, though. Just to just lay out some of the specifics of the Breathe Act that are more palatable than what the justice, the oxymoronic act, justice and policing act would do. Sure, so one of the, the biggest things, and this is on the invest side, is that the, the Breathe Act actually creates grant programs that, that will funnel resources directly into those communities of need. So a lot of times with the Justice and Policing Act, they give resources to police departments, right? So police departments uh, receive funds that they can then use to buy equipment, to buy, um, uh, you know, whether it's bulletproof vests or other things of that nature. So the police departments are actually getting funds, whereas the communities that actually need the funds are not getting those funds. So the BREATHE Act actually flips that dynamic. It creates grant programs that diverts funds to those communities through community-based organizations, meaning the folks who are really at the front line of doing this work of serving uh, local communities. 
That's just not what you see in the Justice and Policing Act. Also, we advocate for a number of things. So we um, definitely were pushing to eliminate qualified immunity. Um, That's been a big issue, uh, especially over the last year. The Justice and Policing Act does not go that far. We were at, we wanted to completely eliminate the program that allows police departments to obtain military equipment. Um, that's a huge thing uh, for us. We also wanted to make sure that we are not doing things that simply perpetuate uh, the reach of the carceral state. So anything that leads to more arrests, more people getting detained, that's simply not in line with with the Breathe Act. And so. What we see from the Justice and Policing Act is it takes the usual approach. Maybe we'll police get more training, right? Investing in more training for police officers, reforming things just around the edges, whereas the Breathe Act takes a completely different approach. It says we're actually going to center communities at the center of our policymaking and what communities need and divert the resources into those communities, whereas the Justice and Policing Act focuses on policing. And we know that these issues in our communities are not just policing issues. They are systemic issues resulting from many different areas of public policy that have not been adequately addressed. And we have to take that bold approach versus the sort of incremental approach that the Justice and Policing Act has taken. Thank you. Uh, for that. And as you were talking, I, I was looking at a, a headline with, that Fox News published about a year ago. Uh, this is Fox News now. And it says, what is the Breathe Act? Squad members, obviously they're talking about the squad, uh, Presley, AOC, um, uh, Rashida uh, Talib. Um, squad members push wide-ranging bills that slashes police funds, gives reparations. Um, I didn't know reparations aren't in the Breathe Act. I don't think, are they? I didn't miss that. I mean, I know, and I'll be clear, M4BL supports our reparations bill, HR 40 for sure. But I'm looking through the Breathe Act, I don't see reparations. Uh, well, <laughs> per se. It wasn't in there when that last checked out the legislation, but. <laughs> Yeah, we know how they do. Yeah. Yeah, and we know how they do. Now, Vox Vox News took a poll uh, just a few weeks ago in June. Um, 51, um, 51% of Americans they polled actually support the Breathe Act. Um, so... What's the what's the big deal in in so in relationship to George Floyd justice and policing, where is breathe right now? Where is it languishing? Well, so it's actually kind of interesting, and and I think a good thing that's happening right now is that several elected officials, several members of Congress, have developed um, legislation that takes components of essentially what what is the Breathe Act. So the Breathe Act was huge. It was an omnibus legislation. And we know the what what it takes to move omnibus legislation. A lot of times you've got to break it down into smaller pieces. And we're actually seeing that happening now. So uh, we know Representative uh, Cory Bush just released uh, legislation designed that, that takes essentially takes a component of Breathe. We know that um, there are other reps, Representative Ayanna Presley has has pushed legislation, is pushing legislation that takes components of Breathe. So we're actually seeing 
the different components of the Breathe Act essentially being taken and, and adopted by elected uh, representatives who are then advocating and pushing those components, which is what we want to happen. Um, one, because we knew that the Justice and Policing Act was going to stall. I mean, even as they were in negotiations, all of the most, I guess, most important parts probably would have been negotiated out anyway, right? So what you would have gotten with the Justice and Policing Act was something that would have been even more insufficient than it was as it was initially drafted. So now that that's where it is, to see uh, Congress people taking parts of essentially what was the Breathe Act and running with those different parts, it means that we can at least get the different components passed, that they are now entering the debate. They are being getting supporters on board. There are teach-ins that we're, we're supporting and hosting uh, for these different components of what we're calling Breathe uh, breathe approved legislation. And that shows that there is some progress being made. And as, as it relates to the, the poll that was taken, I think a lot of the advocacy over the last year, the being relentless in pushing our message and engaging with people on ground, I think that's why you're seeing this shift where people are actually saying, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we can't keep doing the same thing that we've been doing. We have to do something different. More MIP after this message. I'm glad to hear that. And I hope like others, you all heard what Dr. Enya said. See, a lot of us, because we live in this instant gratification, social media, Twitter atmosphere, we want something to happen right now. We just gotta happen right now. What she just described though, it is encouraging even coming from her because if she's comfortable with it, I am. This, this sounds like a relay. I mean, we, this is long distance running. This ain't just, let's get everything done and we didn't get it done by the end of 2020. So we just over it. I like that. And, and that's really what we have to be about. And, and those of us who are really about struggle, not about just tweeting, need to be involved in the long-term struggle for, for this. And, and I appreciate what you, the way you explain that and the discipline it takes to do that. I'm totally on board. If there are those listening who wanna get involved with this particular aspect of the movement for Black Lives, M4BO's work, how do they do that, Dr. Anya? Yeah, so they can definitely go to the website. We have a website that was created for Breathe, and which, by the way, we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of right. a week ago. So right. well, very timely. Um, but they can check out breatheact.org. That's B-R-E-A-T-H-E act.org um, and get more information. You can get a summary. You can sign up to be a, a supporter. Um, we, you can just, it's a place where you can get all of the information about where it is currently. And obviously that folks can, can also go to the m4bl.org website as well, which hosts all of our, um, our policy platform, ways that you can get involved. Um, if you want to get involved, there's also an SMS, sort of a text messaging uh, service that folks can sign up for to receive those kinds of alerts. Um, and then we are on, on the various social media platforms, but there are ways to, if you check out breatheact.org, check out m4bl.org, you'll get all of the information on where things stand. And it also allows you to plug in if you wanted to push the Breathe Act uh, locally. Uh, we do have folks in New York working on Breathe. We have folks in California working on it. We had uh, actually a successful run in Illinois where uh, right. this January of this year, we passed the most sweeping our criminal justice legislation in the state's history. And it was based on the hard work of a coalition of organizations around the right. state 
and we used the Breed legislation as the basis for uh, what was what we provided to elected officials who essentially adopted uh, adopted it in large parts. So there are local efforts that are taking place. There's national, um, but we are you know we're pressing forward. Like we, it's just as you said, it's not a it's not a hundred meter race. You, you have to be in it for the long haul. Well, and and also as I've also said, one of my theses is police ultimately are governed locally. So I hope y'all heard what she said. Y'all don't have to wait again on the national tweet either. You can go and get, just like people are doing with the reparation struggle. People are, are getting reparations bills passed locally, state and city. You can get Breathe X and aspects of the Breathe Act done as well. So folks, I hope you will um, go to the website, breatheact.org and um, Breathe Day. National Breathe Day is coming up uh, as well, September 29th. Um, get involved. We're going to follow this, encourage people to get involved. Um, before we go, though, um, I mean, you have such a wealth of knowledge and expertise and experience. I could do weeks of shows with you. I, I, I really want to ask you about everything going on in the world. But I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to ask you one thing, if you like, uh, because of your expertise, have you any comment or analysis or reflection you like to share on the current situation in Haiti? Oh man, yeah, yeah. So it, it's one of the other hats that I wear have been involved in what's happening in Haiti for quite some time, long before the events of last week. And, you know, just a couple of things. One is it, it, this is a complicated situation where we have to make sure that we are deferring to the voices of Haitians in Haiti and their civil society organizations. Um, and then of course the, the Haitian diaspora to some extent, because the, the issues are, are, are layered. It's not just uh, the assassination of, of President Moïse, it's also security issues. There were insecurities, issues of uh, violence, gang violence that um, were really just so deeply problematic that Haitians were dealing with. And it was part of the reason why the push for the, uh, the, this the push around the constitutional uh, referendum was, was questioned because in an, in an, when, when there's so much insecurity, who's going to come out? Who actually will come out to participate? How can you ensure adequate levels of participation? And so a lot of what we were hearing prior to the events of last week was the security issues. Also, we know, you know, the, what they call the, it's like the top business people who are, they call it like a mafia, if you will, who tend to have outsized influence in government. And how do you deal with those entities? Part of what the speculation is um, that uh, President Moise would, ran afoul of those entities, right? So, and then there's this question of what is the role of the OAS and what is the role of the U.S.? Right. And what role have they historically played in Haiti and Haiti's current circumstances? I don't think that, especially for those who are in the United States, that you analyze the circumstances without looking at the fact that the U.S. occupied Haiti for a couple of decades, that the U.S., uh, even if we go all the way back to when Haiti was required to pay reparations to France and the U.S. actually benefited from that and entities like Citibank benefited from that. 
And those were the kind of shackles that were put upon the country at the point of its so-called independence that did not allow for them to develop in the way that they should and they could and should have, right? So there are a lot of, I think, layers to analyzing what's happening in Haiti, but at the base, I think, deferring to Haitians who are who want and deserve to be self-determining in the direction of their country and resisting this sort of push for the U.S. to, you know, come in and impose, you know, what we think should be democracy and to telling them what, what their next step should be. No, Haitians have the right to be self, self-determining. And even as much as this tragedy has happened, I think it's for us to actually defer to them, to forge the path that they want and that they need. Um, and for us to also be honest about what the history has been in Haiti. There's a lot to unpack and a lot to unravel. And I think especially with the circumstances surrounding the assassination, more information will be coming out, especially about, you know, we've got Colombia involved. We have just so many different factors. And I think we have to just be observant about what information continues to come out about those circumstances. I, I agree. Very well put. Um, and that's why I wanted to ask you with all your expertise. I know you're also part of the African Union. We're gonna, I want to spend some time with you on that next time we join one another. But, but I also want to say this. As I mentioned, our sister speaks uh, Igbo. We, I asked earlier where she was from, um, and she mentioned the country of Nigeria. I want people to understand something. Um, this is why we have a diaspora and why we have Pan-Africanism. You know, and social media is besieged these days with some people trying to divide us as African people, people attacking Pan-Africanism. It seems almost every night on this uh, platform clubhouse, there's some room with a debate about Africans versus African-Americans. That stuff is absurd. And we have come a long way from that. And we should not allow anyone to take us back. So this struggle for black lives is global amongst African people. The struggle for reparations is global amongst African people. Um, and I think with you all heard what I share with you about uh, our guest experience and expertise. She is a living, breathing, talking about the Breathe Act, no pun intended, but a living and breathing example of what we mean when we behave in a diasporic fashion, in a Pan-Africanist fashion. And, and so obviously she's able to articulate what's going on here in America and Haiti and in Africa. And the next time she's here, I want to talk to her about that. But I just, I'm not trying to put you on the spot again, but I just wanted to, to say that while you're here and hope people would use this opportunity hearing our conversation to uh, understand why these things are so important um, and why we have to connect all these dots. Because when we put us all, all of ourselves together, and I know you agree, Dr. Mar, it's more of us than it is of them. Yeah. And that's why they want to divide us. No, 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 I'm over here, you're here. Forget all that. We can't be about that life. So I want to thank you. Um, obviously, I'm impressed with you. We're going to have you back. Probably will get on your nerves. I'm going to ask you back too many times. And that's cool when you say, brother, you're getting on my nerves and keep it moving. But it's it's good for people to hear your expertise. And we're blessed to have you in our movement. We're, movement for Black Lives is blessed to have you. I hope we all of you listening have learned something. And get involved. Get involved and don't just listen to us and watch us and tweet and try to figure out what we're doing. Go to breatheact.org and be a co-equal partner in this struggle. And it begins locally. One of the things I'll say, Dr. Mar, I've been saying to people, 
you know, people, Dr. King, Dr. King, Dr. King, but I remind people, Dr. King won a Nobel Prize for a local struggle. Mm. He didn't come out, see, this. if Dr. King came out today, then somebody would say, oh, you need to build a national organization. You need to have a national movement. Because that's what people hype up now. But he went in Montgomery, a little small town in the South, capital of the state, but a little small town. And because of what he did there, it affected everywhere else. And that's what he went. So everyone, don't be afraid to, to do what she's even suggested about working on the Breathe Act locally and what I've suggested about working on reparations locally. By the way, last month was a whole month of reparations month as a part of Movement for Black Lives. So they're involved in it. There's going to be more on that. And, 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 and Dr. Um, Dr. Inya and I will be talking about that more uh, later, uh, hopefully as uh, as well um, as I'm talking to Movement for Black Lives about it. So um, all of these things are important and you can get involved right here today. Uh, as the old hymn used to say, right in the corner where you are, you can do that. Someone far from harbor, you may help across the bar, right in the corner where you are. So folks, please do that. Go to breatheact.org. Dr. Amara Inya has been our very special guest. Promise it will not be the last time that we'll have her. Uh, thank you. I hope I didn't embarrass you too much of going on and on and on, but people need to hear that. Thank you, Dr. Inya. No, thank you. It was really, really a pleasure. Really a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans. Like for a new ride, or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.